When, when I had uh, small children, they're all grown up for the most part now, but when I had small children, we would often uh, read them books. And I, I must admit, I kind of missed that. You know, you lay in bed beside them and you hold the book up and they're snuggling in and you have a, a time to read a story. And one of the books that I read for my kids, which I think I probably enjoyed almost more than them, was uh, The Borrowers. Have you ever read that? So The Borrowers is basically a story of these, these little people that live in the recesses of your house. And um, they borrow things from full-size people in order to survive. So for example, they may uh, borrow a, a thimble and use it as a cup, or they may borrow a little matchbox and they, they pull it out and they, they make a little bed out of it. And so it's, it's a fascinating account, sort of a fairy tale account of these little people that live in people full-size people's houses and they, they borrow, you know, spools of thread and so forth and so on. So it's, it's a good story. It also explains where all my missing socks have gone um, and other things that just seem to disappear in the house. But aside from the, the fact that this is a cute story and it's kind of fun to read it to, to small children, in, in actual fact, that kind of borrowing is called Stealing. That's what it's actually called. When you take something that isn't yours, that doesn't belong to you, that's called stealing. And human beings have been guilty of committing this sin since the beginning of time, pretty much. Humanity is prone to violate one another in a whole slew of ways, but one of the ways that we often breach God's commandments is by taking things that are not ours and keeping them. And so into this sinful propensity, God says in Exodus chapter 20, verse 15, you shall not steal. So this is the eighth commandment. So the first four commandments, which we've studied previously, are all about guarding the holiness and the sacredness of God. And then from the fifth commandment downward, we have a series of relational commandments. And this is one of them. Taking other people's possessions violates the sacredness and the trust of relationships. But it also, in some respects, violates God because God stewards to each of us an amount of money, possessions, a lifespan. You don't own it. You're a steward, but he entrusts it to you. You are the steward of those things and you're not allowed to go and steal someone else's stewardship. You have to pray that the Lord would give you a stewardship. You have to take care of the things that the Lord has given to you. And so it really is an offense to God to take other people's possessions as well because it's not your stewardship. Now at creation, we understand that when God created Adam and Eve, that he gave them what we call dominion. This is another word for stewardship. He gave them dominion over the physical, tangible world within which we live. After the fall, man's rebellion against God, when sin entered the world, after the fall, we're told to work by the sweat of our brow 
for our bread, for our possessions. And so this teaching starts to form this idea in scripture of property ownership. So we have the fall, mankind, there's only two of them at the time, our stewarded creation. As a result of sin, we have to go and work in our fields in order to provide for our households. Moving forward in scripture, we have the famous Tower of Babel incident where God divides up the people of the world into nations. And it tells us there in the scriptures that he created nations. This is why we're not globalists. Nations and boundaries for those nations. So this again starts to add to this notion of property ownership. So while on an ultimate level, we own nothing, God does steward possessions to people. So you have a field that's your field, you work in that field, and you have a right to benefit from the produce that is produced as a result of your hard labor, your toil and your effort. And if you are in a nation, which we all are, that nation has boundaries, and that is your stewardship, and it's wrong for another nation to come in and try to steal your stewardship. So I'm mentioning this because some modern Christians even think that this idea of property ownership is unbiblical, that it's, it's not right to, to own anything. It's, you know, it's not right to say, well, this is actually mine. It's not right to assume that if you work hard that you should have to keep it. There's this notion of the redistribution of wealth, this globalistic agenda, which is not grounded or founded in scripture. The scriptures speak of nations. It speaks of individual property ownership. And if that's not super clear to you, then why would God give us this commandment in Exodus chapter 20, verse 15, that says that we are not supposed to steal? It's impossible to steal if there's no such thing as ownership. So the point is that we believe in property rights and property ownership, and that a person who works should benefit and be blessed by their work, and a person that is lazy and chooses not to work, has no right to go and take that which they have not worked for. So for all of these reasons, stealing is a sin. It's taking something that God did not entrust to you. Taking something that God did not entrust to you. So by offering us this prohibition, this commandment, God encourages humans to avoid the the all too common attempt to go after and secure for ourselves things we have not worked for, things God has not stewarded to us. So we're not into sort of the, the Robin Hood mindset where we just go and take that which is not ours because, well, that person doesn't deserve it and we do deserve it. God chastises that kind of mindset. The, the word stealing or theft in the Hebrew Bible from which our English Old Covenant scriptures are translated, also implies an element of deception. Applies an element of deception. So when you go and take something that's not yours, the act in and of itself is a violation of your stewardship. But it's also a deceptive act because it's always done in secret. It's done when the owner's not around, typically. It's done when the owner's not aware. And so if you've ever had something stolen from you, and and I have on a few occasions, there's there's a deep offense that we take to that because it's not just, well, my, 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 my item is missing, 
But there's this sense of I've been deceived. Some, I, can't, I can't trust people. And this notion comes through in the word for stealing as well, which reminds us that stealing isn't just an action that is wrong, but because there's deception involved in it, there's also a character flaw, because deception is a character flaw, that's being expressed in the act of stealing. It's also noteworthy to mention that the commandment that is given to us here also applies to people as well as property. So in the Old Covenant scriptures, what we would call kidnapping is forbidden. It's considered an act of theft. It's not only illegal, but it's immoral in the eyes of God to unlawfully take someone by force into custody is a violation of his commandment. To unlawfully take a church's facility away, which doesn't belong to you, is a violation of this commandment. When the Church of God in Elmer, when Grace Life in Alberta, when Trinity Bible Chapel in Waterloo had locks put on their building and the government took over their property, they can justify that in many different ways, but that is stealing because the church is an embassy. It's not taxed by the state. It's not under the authority of the state. It's sacred property. It doesn't belong to the government. And so the government, in attempt to enforce their lesser laws, have actually violated this commandment. They have stolen. They have taken that which is not there. So you can see there's a variety of ways that this commandment <clears throat> can be violated or is super applicable for us to consider in the society that we are living in. So when we read the eighth commandment, we have to go a little beyond a, a simplistic reading of the text, which would be, oh, this is like cops and robbers. This is just speaking about you know, cat burglars. And I'm not a cat burglar, so I've, I've never violated this. We have to think a little more broadly that there's, there's a variety of ways in which the eighth commandment can be broken. And what I would like to do today is take you to several other scriptures and just present to you some practical teaching on some ways that perhaps we might even be guilty of violating this commandment. So this is going to be a very, very practical lesson for us. If you have ever stolen, um, well, hopefully this will be somewhat convicting to you, or if you're in the, if maybe this is a habit in your life in the here and now, hopefully this will bring some correctives into your life. I can't say that I make a habit out of stealing, but I told you before that when I was 10 years old, I had that little incident in Kmart where I stole a chocolate foil egg. First time I ever stole, and I was actually grabbed hold of by a store security guard and dragged into his office and I was bawling my eyes out. And I was terrified that my mom was going to find out. My Sunday school teacher was going to find out. My family was going to find out and my life was ruined. And because I was repentant, he released me and said, don't ever steal anything again. And, and I haven't. Um, so I learned this lesson early on. It, it might be the case that, you know, you're still in the process of uh, learning uh, this lesson. So <clears throat> let me just suggest to you that the word stealing 
can be applied in a variety of different ways. So as I've mentioned already, it can be the act whereby you take something that isn't yours. That's pretty clear. It can also apply to an action whereby you are attempting to get something for nothing. It can also be applied to any action whereby you have disallowed or forbidden a person to lay claim to property or possessions that rightly belong to them. These are different ways that we can break this commandment. That could be expressed through things like tax evasion or failing to declare purchases at the border or downloading property that isn't yours. That's a big one in our culture. Or failing to give your income sacrificially to the Lord. Because by the way, part of your income, you are required to give back to the Lord. And so the Lord gives you a stewardship. And if you keep it all and you don't give back to the Lord the portion that he requires, well, now you're holding on to something that doesn't belong to you. So let us remind ourselves that when the Bible speaks of giving cheerfully, it doesn't mean only give that which makes you cheerful, but it means give. And as you do, give it cheerfully. There's a difference between the two. So let's explore the scriptures and find some examples and some application for this text. So one of the things I think is important for us to discuss very practically is business theft. So this is point number one in terms of some ways that uh, this commandment is often broken, business theft. So we have this commandment given to us, you shall not steal. And many of us, past, present, or in the future, will be involved in business negotiations, trade and commerce. So in a world of trade and commerce, um, generally the way it works is you have someone that owns a company or provides a product, could be a tangible product like a, a car or clothing or groceries, or it could be an, an intangible product like software or music or some other form of electronic property. In commerce, we have owners. And under the owners, we generally have managers and employees. And then ultimately, we have the customer, right, that buys the product. And in a sinful world, on any level of business transactions, theft can creep in. We know that there are owners of companies that are guilty of theft, management, CEOs, employees, and even customers that are guilty of theft at times. As people involve themselves in the business world and commerce, there's selling and purchasing and shipping that takes place and wheeling and dealing. These are all common aspects of business life. Even in the church, which isn't a business, there is a business component. We're responsible to manage funds, to issue receipts, to pay our bills and invoices. We purchase property. We maintain a budget. We support vocational workers. 
And at times, theft even creeps into church life. It creeps into the business world. Now, this is not a new phenomenon. In ancient times, ancient people also had business paradigms set up. So people would go into markets and they would, they would buy and they would sell produce. And back then, as is the case now, there's always a, a temptation to take that which isn't yours. And this concerned God, not just perhaps more blatant demonstrations of this, like when someone shoplifts, but another way that this would have been demonstrated in old covenant times is through dishonest measurement. So for example, if a person is weighing out grain, and you're, you're in the market and you're buying a, a sack of grain, there's, there has to be a, a means and mechanism to, to weigh, to determine the value of that commodity. And what happened at times is that people would dishonestly weigh out that which they were selling and rip people off. So here's what it says in the book of Proverbs, chapter 20, verse 23. Unequal weights are an abomination to the Lord and false scales are not good. So what's God talking about there? Is he talking about, you know, you're, you're on the bench press and you get 100 pounds on this side and 50 pounds on this side and that's an abomination of the Lord? Is that, is that what he's talking about? He's talking about unequal weights? When he references false scales, is he talking about the scale you jump on in the morning which you've adjusted down 20 pounds you know, to make yourself feel a little thinner? No, no, he's not talking about that. He's talking about business weights, business measures, business transactions, business negotiations. And so you can, you can picture the, the uh, proprietor and he's, he's, out, he's out at the, the farmer's market and he's trying to sell his produce and times are a little tight and he feels like, you know, he's, he's just not getting ahead and, you know, his children are growing. And so he rationalizes in his mind, well, is it really going to make that much of a difference if I sell you know, three quarters of a pound of grain for the, but pretend it's one, you know, a full pound of grain? Is, is it really that big of a deal if I sort of shave 10 or 20 or 15% off of my product? And this, this, this was something that people did. And in a day and age when there wasn't electronic scales, you can imagine that people got away with this quite often. What I want to point your attention to in this passage is the strength of the language that God uses to chastise that kind of behavior. You see what he says there? Unequal weights are an abomination to the Lord. That's about as strong of language as you can possibly get when God chastises sin. It's an abomination to the Lord. In other words, ripping people off in business is disgusting in the mind of God. Stealing from your employer is disgusting in the mind of God. Fudging the books, cooking the books, as they say, is disgusting in the eyes of the Lord. Taking home things from work that don't belong to you because you figure, well, you know, we got lots of these things in the warehouse is disgusting in the eyes of the Lord. 
Normally, when we think of abominations, we think of, you know, idol worship or sex outside of marriage or murder. God's speaking here about cheating in business. And so we need to understand that any attempt to take that which isn't yours or to cheat or manipulate business, financial transactions is out of bounds for the believer in Jesus Christ. To cheat in business is an abomination, it's theft. To mislead a customer, maybe you're in customer service, to mislead a customer is a sin in the eyes of the Lord. To sell three kilograms of flour and pretend that you're selling 3.5 kilograms of flour is a sin in the eyes of the Lord. To sell a customer a 20-year pack of shingles and say it's a 30-year pack of shingles is disgusting in the eyes of the Lord. To roll back the odometer in your car is disgusting in the eyes of the Lord. The problem is many people who are otherwise moral rationalize themselves into a place where they permit this kind of behavior in their lives under the misnomer, well, business is business. I can just kind of do whatever I want. If I can get away with it, it's fine. And God says, no, it's a sin. It's a violation of the eighth commandment. And by the way, when we aren't honest in business, someone has to pay for it eventually. So if we steal from work, well, you're just inflating the price of the product for customers in the future. We know that shoplifting is something we all pay for. I think they say up to five, maybe even 15% of what we pay for every item we buy is compensating for all of the things people steal from stores. Customers, employees, managers alike. So someone has to pay for it. So if you go into a store and you're like, well, you know, it's, they look like they got a lot, I'm gonna take something. Ultimately, I have to pay for that in some way, shape or form. You have to pay for that in some way, shape or form. So we're stealing from other people, not just the proprietor. They say that something like 30 or 35% of customers that have received an Amazon package on their front porch have had one stolen off their front porch. They think, ah, it's Amazon. They got lots of money. Now, someone has to pay for that. You didn't pay for it, but someone has to pay for that. So this is why this is a commandment that has relational implications to it. It affects not only business owners, but it also negatively affects other customers. Now, undeniably, one of the worldview issues that caused people to excuse such behavior as this culture of entitlement that we live in. Many people believe that they are entitled to a high income and a posh lifestyle, regardless of the cost to others. We've bought into the, the human rights lie that says, you know, we're all entitled to an equal share of the world market. And we should be able to tap into that at any cost. Do you kind of hear that? in culture and in your interactions with people. And when politicians are campaigning, there's this underlying notion, everything has to be even Steven. Everybody should have equal access. Everybody should have sort of a, the, the same amount of opportunity, the same amount of money. And if, if you're a little more wealthy, you must be a, a nasty, despicable person. And if you're a little less wealthy, well, you must be a victim of a culture that has taken advantage of you. 
Now, there can be some truth to that at times, but more often than not, there's lies attached to it. The Bible says that a man who doesn't work shouldn't eat. And in a culture like ours, there's lots of opportunity to work. There's lots of opportunity to work. There may not be a $100,000 job around every corner for you, but if you work hard, people recognize that, they'll want to hire you. There's lots of opportunity for work. It's very rare that in a country like ours, there's any excuse for a person to truly be unemployed unless they have a you know, major medical issue or there's, there's extreme circumstance, but there's, there's lots of work to be had if you just look for it. So we have to cast off this entitlement mindset that many have and understand that God gives us each a stewardship. We're responsible to work for it. We're responsible to multiply it. We're responsible to tend to that which God has given to us and not live our lives constantly longing for what other people have. I heard a funny story many years ago of a cab driver that knew people tended to have a bent towards theft. And so he had this idea, lived in an apartment in a big city. He didn't have a great way of getting rid of his garbage. So every couple of days he'd take his garbage and he'd double, triple bag it. He'd put it inside of a, a nice bag, almost like something that would, you know, you'd just get from a store when you bought a nice pair of jeans or a shirt or something. And he would put it in the back seat of his taxi cab. And he'd go around and he'd pick up all his fares during the day. And at the end of the day, sure enough, the bag was always gone. And that's the way he was able to you know, get rid of his garbage quite efficiently because he knew he lived in a culture where people steal a lot. A bit of a surprise and they got home and found a bag full of garbage. But this is a problem in our culture. And if you don't think it's in our, a problem in our culture, have you ever thought about how many occupations exist because of the problem of theft? Because of the problem of dishonesty? Many of you actually would be out of work <laughs> or underemployed or have to find other employment if it wasn't for this sin. So border guards, part of their job is to protect against theft. Police officers, that's part of their job. Alarm technicians, Locksmiths, why would we need locksmiths? If people didn't steal and break in, uh, people that install alarms in cars, armored truck drivers, anti-theft software de developers. There's a whole industry out there that exists because people habitually break the eighth commandment. God is calling his people to set a higher standard. So when we are living our lives and involved in business transactions, let's make sure that we go the extra mile to demonstrate integrity and honesty and forthrightness in our interaction with the world around us. So business theft is a problem. And then another problem is taxation theft. Now, before I take you to a scripture that speaks pretty clearly about this, let me just acknowledge that I don't like paying taxes either, generally speaking. A portion of the taxes we pay are very justifiable. So if we're going to drive on roads and we're going to benefit from police protection, 
and we're going to have a government to oversee and we're going to enjoy street lights and all of these things that are part of civil infrastructure, who wouldn't want to pay into that? Really, in that respect, many of our taxes are just prepaid bills. We're just we're paying into a system so that we can enjoy infrastructure and assets and protection and representation. That part of taxation, yeah, I think most of us that are mature and thoughtful would be like, yeah, I don't mind paying my fair share. But at the same time, we know there's a lot of government waste. So who wants to pay for infrastructure projects that really should be turned over to private entrepreneurs? Who wants to pay for abortions? Who wants to pay for gender reassignment surgeries? Who wants to pay for jet-setting politicians going off to yet another useless conference? So we, in, in the taxation system, there's things that are legitimate expenses to a nation, and there's things that we would say are illegitimate concerns. And so it's important for us to speak into government and address our politicians in this regard. But that aside, apart from the, you know, those, those sticky areas related to taxation, as a general rule, we are responsible and required as Christians to pay our taxes and not to try to rob the state of money that has been requested of us. In Jesus' day, people were asking this question as well. And in many respects, in Jesus' day, the situation was worse. We live at least in a democratic environment where we can hold our officials accountable for their decisions every election day. But in Jesus' day, the people of God were literally living under a foreign dictatorship. And part of that dictatorship was unjust taxation. They were being taxed and really not being provided with any services. So understanding all this, a group of religious leaders on one occasion in the gospels approaches Jesus and their attempt is to trap him. Their hope would be, of course, that he would lose popularity to those that were opposed to taxation. And yet in keeping with his radical style. Here's what Jesus said. And I want to take you to Matthew chapter 22. And some of these scriptures I've been putting on the screen, others I haven't because I realize as of late that I've probably been babying you a little bit. And I want you to actually bring your Bibles to church and find your way to these passages and read them for yourself. So this is Matthew chapter 22. And in Matthew chapter 22, we're going to cut in at verse 15. Here's what we read in the gospels. Then the Pharisees went and plotted. So notice they have an intention to trap Jesus. Plotted how to entangle him in his words. And they sent disciples to him along with the Herodians saying, teacher, we know that you are true and teach the word of God truthfully. So they're trying to butter him up. They're basically lying here. They're trying to trap him. We already know that. And you do not care about anyone's opinion for you are not swayed by appearances. So they're just really piling on the compliments. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? (laughs) So they're trying to trap him. If he says, yes, well, these citizens that have been subjugated by Caesar will be like, well, he's not for us. He's against us. And if he says no, well, then the authorities are probably going to come down hard on him. So they're, they're trying to trap Jesus, but Jesus is a genius and he's 
God incarnate, and he always says that which is true and accurate, and his teaching methods are just incredibly awesome. So he says, it says there, but Jesus, aware of their malice, said, why put me to the test, you hypocrites? So he, he cuts right through the lies. He identifies their motives. Show me the coin for the tax. So they're fumbling their pocket. They pull out a coin, and guess who's pictures on it. They brought him a denarius, kind of a day's wage. And Jesus said to them, whose likeness and inscription is it? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God's the things that are God's. And when they heard it, they marveled and they left him and went away. They had nothing else to say. Now the core teaching of Jesus' message here is not about taxes. The core teaching is this. If you're going to live in the system, folks, and you're going to benefit from the system, you got to pay into the system. Now, if you don't like that, go move up into the boreal forests in the middle of nowheresville with no infrastructure and live off the grid. And then you don't have to worry about these things. But how dare anyone live within the system, drive on the roads, call the police when someone, you know, is peeking in their window, call the fire department when the shed's on fire, or whatever it might be, and then not pay into that? That's theft. So Jesus is calling out their hypocrisy here. So again, the fundamental lesson is not pay taxes, although that's an implication. If you're going to live within the system, and it, it, it seems like all of us do because we drove on government roads to get here, then we have a responsibility to pay into the system. And if we don't, what we're actually doing is violating the eighth commandment. But we have another thing to consider, and that is offering theft. Many people give money to the work of the ministry, to the work of God on earth. And that's a great thing for us to do. We should all do that. But unfortunately, many, even in the church today, give their leftovers to God. They give whatever happens to be left at the end of the day after all the bills are paid and you know the, the high-speed internet bill has been paid and the vacation bills have been paid and the mortgage has been paid and heat and hydro have been paid. Then they, they give of their leftovers to God. And again, the, the go-to passage is, well, I only give what makes me cheerful. Isn't that what that passage means? I only give what makes me cheerful. Instead of giving, dot, 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 cheerfully, there's many folks that rob God, thinking that, well, we don't live under the tithing system. You know, we don't, it's, we're not into legalism. All kinds of excuses. You know, we have more bills than most people, whatever it might be. Malachi warned the people of Israel back in Malachi 3 in this famous statement in verses 8 and 9, will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. You say, how have we robbed you in your tithes and contributions? You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. So just as in modern times, in ancient times, believers in the true and living God often fell into the trap of failing to give that which is owed to God, God's tax. And God's like, that, that's theft. That's not, well, you're just not quite mature yet. That, that's theft. You're actually robbing God. That's a violation of the eighth commandment. 
think about all the things that we enjoy in life. So, you know, over the years, Susie and I started off as many young couples do, flat broke. Then we had kids and got broker. I remember the days when there was no way I could go through a Tim Hortons drive-through and buy a medium coffee for $1.10 or whatever it was at the time without budgeting it. I didn't have $1.10 flexibility in my budget. I do now, but I didn't back then. But over time, you know, he who gathers money little by little sees it grow and you, you kind of move through life and your income increases and, you know, kids start to take responsibility for their own bills. And, and you know, over time you start to accumulate and you maybe buy a, a bigger house or a a second vehicle or better furniture or, or whatever it may be. That just generally tends to be how life goes. You start to invest in retirement savings. You can give more to the work of the ministry, etc. But one of the things I've noticed as a general observation among Christian people is that generous people tend to be generous whether they are broke or rich doesn't really relate to how much income they're making. They, they just tend to be generous whether they're broke, middle class, or rich. And stingy people say, well, we're broke right now, so we're not gonna give. And all of a sudden they're middle class, they're still not giving, they become wealthy and they're still not giving. So giving has very little to do with your income and very much to do with your heart, very much to do with your commitments to the Lord. And it is wrong-headed for us to think that the Lord only expects us to give once we have leftovers to give, because that's not what giving is. Giving is not about giving that which you have in excess. It's a general principle. It's God's tax upon his people. So whether we are the widow with two mites or the wealthy man with suitcases full of gold coins, God calls all of his people to give sacrificially to the work of the ministry. And there is blessings in that. And it also is a way of us avoiding the prohibition that is given to us in the eighth commandment. Here's a fun story. There was a knock at the door of a hut occupied by a missionary in Africa. The missionary opened the door and he found one of the native boys holding a large fish in his hands. And the boy said, Reverend, you taught us what tithing is. So here I've brought you my tithe. He didn't have actual money to give, but he had a possession. Here's my tithe. So he hands this big fish to the missionary. The missionary gratefully took the fish and he asked the young man, well, if this is your tithe, then where are the other nine fish? Well, the boy beamed at him and he said, oh, they're still back in the river. I'm going to catch them now. Now, this, this is the, the kind of mindset that we need to adopt. Not, I have my 10 fish necessarily, well, now I can give my one because I have my nine as my security blanket. But we give out of our first fruits, not our leftovers. And in this respect, we are invited to test God. 
We're invited to give and then watch God give back. So you know what's been said in the past, we shovel out and God shovels back and guess who has a bigger shovel? When we give to the work of the ministry, we never ever go without. And I can tell you, Susie and I have seen this time and time again. Again, even back in the days when we were broke and we're like, broke or not, we will give to the ministry of the Lord as God has commanded us. And God somehow blesses. Your accountant might not be able to figure it out. It might not make sense mathematically, but God blesses his people when we give. So may that be a motive for us to give. That's the kind of attitude that will take us a long way in life. We give, we refuse to rob God. God blesses us in return. It might not make sense mathematically, but it works in God's economic plans for his people. Well, let's suppose for a moment that maybe we failed in some of these areas. What do we do? Let me share with you three scriptures to encourage your heart in this regard. How do we chart a new course? How do we make it right? If we've been guilty of robbing God or evading taxes or stealing from our employer, just living dishonestly when it comes to our management of possessions. Well, the first thing for us to do is to admit that it's wrong and aim for honesty. So that's where it starts. Admit that it's wrong and aim for honesty. In Ephesians chapter four, verse 28, the Bible says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. In many respects, that summarizes my entire sermon today. If you're a thief, stop it. What's the alternative? Work, how should I work? Honestly, what's the aim of work? To give and bless others. It's a great reminder. Admit it's wrong and aim for honesty. Secondly, let us commit ourselves to look to God to supply for all of our needs. In Philippians chapter four, verse 19, the word of God says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. God will always provide sufficiently for his people. Now you might say, well, well how come Christian people have, have died at times of famine or starvation? Well, it's true. This isn't an ironclad guarantee that says, well, if I'm a Christian, it's always gonna be health, wealth, and prosperity. And that's probably a good thing because then people would flock into the church thinking that they're gonna somehow benefit from it materially. This is more of a proverbial truth that God will always provide for our needs. And he also provides for our needs even in our suffering or in our lack. When we're involved in a robust community of faith and we're going without it's not uncommon for other people to step in and provide for our needs. Ultimately, it's God providing for us through them. But this is something for us to consider, to look to God to supply our needs instead of being manipulative or deceptive and trying to secure things through unjust means. Third, remember that all you have is on loan from God. Ultimately, you're not the owner, you're the steward. Therefore, we often say ownership is the enemy of stewardship. If you think you own it, well, you're not going to steward it very well. In Psalm 24, verse 1, it says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. That means everything. Everything in the world is the Lord's. The world and those who dwell therein. 
the, the, the tangible planet is God's, the, the sun, the moon, and the stars are God's. Every animal, every human belongs to the Lord. This is a reminder to us. We don't own it. We just steward it. Ultimately, everything in this planet belongs to the Lord. God's work is, uh, word is here to protect us and guide us. And if we skirt around the commands, we try to manipulate the system, it'll come back to bite us. Zig Ziglar told the story of a man way back in the 1800s. His name was Emanuel Nenger. And he showed up at the market one day with a $20 bill, which would have been a pretty significant denomination of money back then. And he was buying some produce. And after he'd given him the, the, the store clerk the $20 bill and left with the products that he'd purchased, the, the store manager noticed that the, the ink was coming off the $20 bill and was on his hand. And he figured, well, this has got to be a counterfeit. So they called the police. The police hunted this guy down, showed up at his apartment. He wasn't there at the time. They went in and they, they discovered all these fine little paintbrushes and ink. This guy was actually painting. He was such a good artist. He was actually painting these $20 bills, not running them through some fancy printing press. He was, he was so good at it, he was, he was able to counterfeit $20 bills with a paintbrush. So they started looking around his apartment a little bit more and they discovered this guy was actually an incredible artist. And they found some of his art. Well, the story goes on. He was arrested. He was imprisoned. But his art went to market and sold for some extravagant amount of money, like $5,000 per piece. And, and the irony there is obvious. This guy was investing his, his talents and cheating and manipulating and trying to rip people off when he had in his own possession the talents to make more money than most people could ever make in their life because he was an incredible artist, just mismanaging his talents. The, the amount of energy that people often grow, put into swindling and ripping people off and coming up with all sorts of schemes, those same people probably could be great entrepreneurs, business leaders, managers, who could live quite well if they just channeled their talents into honest living. The point of the matter is it, it takes time and energy to be a thief, to be crooked, to rip people off. Instead of channeling our energy in that direction, why not use our energies and the talents that God has given to us to make an honest living? And if we follow this commandment, we will prosper. The Bible reminds us that the world belongs to God and yet he has given it to us to enjoy. Psalm 115, verse 16, here's another one. The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given the children of man. He's given us the world to enjoy, to steward it. It still ultimately belongs to him, but it's been stewarded to us. And whereas the thief ruins life, God warns us to avoid theft because he wants us to enjoy the stewardship that he has given to us. In John 10.10, 10, it says, the thief only comes to steal and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. So this is a great reminder because when we hear these sort of hard-hitting commands, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that, the temptation is to think, well, there goes God again, robbing me of joy. This wants to make my life difficult. Oh, great, now I gotta pay more taxes. 
Now I got to stop bringing things across the border and not declaring them. Now I got to take all those pens back that I've stolen from work over the last 10 years. God's the cosmic killjoy. No, no, no. That's not God's intention. God has given us the world to enjoy. He wants you to have life and have it abundantly, but you have to live according to his rules, according to his law. And when you do, you are blessed over time and other people are blessed as well. So why not live for God's glory and God's glory alone? If this is a challenge for you, a a temptation, chart a new course in your life. If you've made a living off deceit, well, channel those energies into an honest living for the glory and honest for the glory and honor of God. And finally, let me just say that what we've preached today doesn't just have application for the church. This has application out and into a healthy culture and nation. So let's not just keep this teaching to ourselves. Let's share these truths with our neighbors, our family members, our bosses, our employees. Let's live it out. But let's also hold the world accountable to live according to God's commandments, God's decrees. It doesn't necessarily mean they're going to get to heaven as a result. But the world is always blessed when the creator's commandments are honored, not just in the family or the church, but also in the legal institutions and educational institutions and the medical institutions and in state institutions. <laughs> 